Now, you know, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks. Charles talked about it last week, that we have uh, some, some specific strategy and vision that we believe God is laying on our hearts for this year. That we want to see God give us a, a great increase in the number of people who are saved in our local community through this local church. We want to see an increase in our salvations. We want to see an increase in our baptisms. We want to see an increase in people involved in our life groups. We want to see an increase in people involved in serving throughout our local church. And we want to see an increase in giving in our church. Why? Because all five of those statements directly relate to impact, eternal impact that comes through the people of God. And so that's what we're asking God to do. And so that's why we're starting this year of walking through these first few weeks of this year, this idea, this picture, a vision of what it means to see God do so much more in our lives and in our church. And so if you've got your booklets, I want you to open up to the second week of sermons. Uh, we're going to be walking through this passage, uh, through this passage today that's found in Mark chapter 9. You can turn in your Bibles with me to that passage. And we're going to walk through and begin talking through and seeing what that looks like uh, as it relates to so much more for each and every one of us. Now, last week, Charles talked about the importance of God's Word. Now, we are right now, it's January the 12th, which, by the way, tomorrow's January 13th, and it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, so it's kind of cool. Uh, I, I, I married way above myself, just so you know. Uh, she's not very happy, though, because I started the fast for our church on her birthday. And so it's going to save me a lot of money not having to take her out for a steak dinner tomorrow night. It's awesome. I'm just kidding. I'm going to actually buy her dinner tonight, so it's all good. But happy birthday to you. So much more is what we're asking God to do. Now, right there in the top part of your notes, I want to just jump right into this passage, right into the statement here. This passage, it comes directly from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And so right off the bat, in order to see God accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think, we actually need to ask and think. How many of us are expecting God to do a great work in our lives, but yet we never actually seek the face of God and the power of God to make it happen? So often we talk about, man, I really want God to do a miracle in my life. So often we sit back and going through a trial and a tribulation and say, man, I hope God shows up and delivers. So often we sit back and we, we just hope and hope and hope that, that God is going to do something really big, maybe in a financial setting or, or maybe in a health, a physical challenge, or maybe in a relationship challenge. And we're asking God, we're thinking, God, God, please do something amazing. But yet we actually never actually get ourselves to the place where we ask and think about the power of God and what God wants to do. When it tells us very clearly here that God is able to do infinitely more than we might ask or think, the natural conclusion that we can come from, from that is that we better be asking and we better be thinking. We better be focused. We better be making sure that we are having conversations and commitments with God. And the conversations, certainly prayer. Commitments, like willing to go the distance, willing to take the extra step. And so today we're talking about prayer and fasting. We're talking about what that looks like and, and the importance of that. Because we recognize, we talk about prayer. Prayer is the key to seeing God do a great, great work. Prayer is the key to seeing God do so much more in our lives. A passive faith will never produce miraculous results. The kind of lives that we live where we just kind of go through and we're people of faith and walking with Jesus and believing in Jesus, but yet never actually doing the hard work 
of getting on our knees before God, of seeking His face. If we are not that kind of person doing what it takes to get to that place, then we can't expect God to do miraculous things if we're not willing to, to go the distance. And so that's what we're talking about. That's why we're focused on this idea of seeing God do so much more. And so let's talk a little bit today about prayer and fasting. Let's talk about prayer first, because prayer is the reflection of our relationship with God. And so right there in your notes, there's a couple, there's three different statements there that I want to focus on, uh, three different ideas that convey what prayer really is, uh, that relationship that we're talking about. It's a relationship between creator and creation. The idea that we're talking with the God who created everything that there is. That we literally are people that God spoke into existence. And listen, make no mistake, we, we didn't show up one day because, you know, stars collided in, 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 in outer space and everything blew up and, a, you know, that, the, the, this, this big uh, theory happened where all of a sudden just things came to be. It drives me nuts when I go to a museum or go to, you know, some, uh, watch some video somewhere or some television program and it talks about how, you know, millions and millions of years ago there was this little amoeba that was floating in the ocean. And that little amoeba then began to split. And then pretty soon, all of a sudden, that amoeba began to swim a little bit. And it grew fins. And then it grew a tail. And it grew, a, you know, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it, it made its way to shore. And then all of a sudden, that fish that came from the amoeba now began to walk. And then pretty soon, boom, man, that drives me nuts. It's stupid to think that everything that we see in our world today came because of an accident. It came because there is an intelligent creator, there is a being in heaven above who spoke it into existence, and in his unbelievable creativity, he created us exactly the way that we are. Last week, I took my family down to, uh, to Florida. We went to SeaWorld, and, and man, I've never been, I've been there since, like, I don't know, 20 years or something. Went to SeaWorld, and we were walking through, and we're seeing all these different fish that they have there. I mean, it's really cool. They got, like, the orca. And the dolphins, you know, and they've got, you know, these, these uh, aquariums where you walk through and see all these different types of fish. And, and, man, they all look different. I mean, it's just amazing, the creativity. And all I could sit there and think is, my goodness, what an amazing and creative God that we have. That he spoke every one of them to existence exactly the way that they are. And it is an insult to all of us that we just happen to come from some cell somewhere. Don't you believe it? When they start talking about evolution, just know this. It is a lie from Satan himself. God created the heavens and the earth. Put a period right after that. And so this idea of relationship that we have with God, this idea of prayer, of talking with God, it's the idea of a relationship between the creator and the creation. But it's also, and I love this one, it's a relationship between the king and the subjects. This idea that there is this person who has ultimate authority, a person who is absolutely, completely in control, that has all rights and all uh, authority and all responsibility, that we are simply his subjects, that we have no authority when it comes to, uh, to what he decides and what he has, he has commissioned for us and, and what he has planned for us. And so it's the idea that we have the opportunity of call, talking directly to the king. Now, you've all seen in these last couple of days what's taking place in Iran, that even as we are gathered here together right now, there are protests going on in the streets of Iran where the, the people are, are protesting in opposition to their leader. 
uh, to their, uh, the leader of that country, and they're calling for him to resign, calling for him to step down, knowing that they're doing so, literally recognizing that the words that they're saying could cost them their lives, that recognizing that protesting in the streets, that, that, that the, the government, the, the military, the army there in Iran could come out and kill all of them because they have no right to question, they have no right to even try to talk to their authority, their king. Here we are recognizing that God has given us the opportunity through the cross where we can boldly go to the throne of grace any time that we want. How cool is that? Not only between creator and creation, but between the king and his subjects. We have the right and the ability to talk directly to him, but it doesn't even stop there. This last one's my favorite because it also conveys the idea of a relationship between a father and his children. How cool is that? That God looks at us as his family. Yes, God created us. Yes, God is in total, total and complete authority over us. But he also looks at us as his children. My kids, Natalie's here on the front row, with my other three that are, that are here, all of them know that anytime they want to talk to me, they can call me, they can show up, they can walk into my office unhindered. They can do whatever they need to. They always have the right to come directly to me no matter what. And everybody knows that. They know they can talk to me whenever they need, whatever situation, whatever uh, complications or, or conflicts that they're going through, they need help and need advice, whatever that might be. They know they can always run directly to their dad and I will always be there for them. Let me just give you some good news. We all have that because our God in heaven is our father who is waiting for us to give him a call. How cool is that? And here's the amazing thing. So often we don't do it. Now, sure, we pray over our meals. I mean, we sit down at a meal together and, you know, we'll take a few seconds to thank God for the meal and to thank God for the hand that, that prepared it and all that kind of stuff. Well, you, you always forget the rest of the body, right? Thank God for the hands that prepared this meal. Uh, we take that quick moment to thank God for that meal. But, but have you ever thought about like the idea that God doesn't want to simply hear us only come to him when we're thanking him for a hot dog, that God actually wants to hear from us all the time about everything, to pray about everything, to bring all of our needs to him, to come to him and thank him, to praise him, to worship him, to talk with him. Our God wants to hear from us. If I go through an entire day and I don't hear from my kids, man, I feel empty. I feel like my day is like, like just really bad because I want to hear from them. I want to hear their good. I want to hear their bad. I want to hear their voice. I want to hear them laugh. I want, all that kind of, I want to hear them every single day. God is no different. God wants to hear from us. So let's jump into this passage. Let's take a few moments today and kind of hear what Jesus had to say about this idea of prayer and fasting. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. Let's read it together. It says, When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. That's the disciples. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit but they couldn't do it. In your Bibles, you ought to underline, they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, 
How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, uh, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now, verse 23, I love this verse, when Jesus kind of in a somewhat in a, in a kind, but let's be honest, a little bit kind of a sarcastic tone here. What do you mean if I can? Think about that. That this man is talking to the God of the universe and says, listen, if you can help me. And God said, what do you, Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? He goes on to say, what do you mean if I can? Jesus uh, asked anything, or he said, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And so when Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. And a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. And afterward, Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples. They asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And then listen to these words. Jesus replied, this kind, this type of thing, this type of miracle, Jesus said, can be cast out only by prayer. So in our lives today, we all should be looking for that infinitely more, that so much more view of what God wants to do. We all should be looking for God to do what only God can do. And so let's just talk about it for a few minutes, like, like, why is it not happening? Why is that something that we seem to be missing out on so much? Well, the first thing is this, under your notes here, is our lack of faith. Our lack of faith. By the way, and if you can't read my handwriting, I'm sorry. I do know this. I feel good because I saw Charles's last week, and mine's better than his. Charles got a text message after the service last week, and he said, man, I really appreciate all of your, uh, your sermon today and all the great things that you said. And I know God's going to use it because he allowed you to, to actually write in Arabic. <laughs> Someone in our church actually sent that to him. And so I know my handwriting's bad, but it's not quite as bad as Charles. But either way, our lack of faith. So often, we simply don't believe that God can do what God can do. Now, we would never say that. We would never, never actually get up and say, well, I don't believe God can do that. But in our actions, in our, in our hearts, in the way that we act, in the way that we seek um, God showing up and doing something, we are conveying the idea that we have a lack of faith, that God is not able to do it. And if we think, even subconsciously, that, man, even God can't do that, you know what we're not going to do? We're not going to seek the face of God. We're not going to run to him looking for him to, to show up and to do what we desperately need him to do. Look what it says in verse 19. Jesus said to them, you faithless people. Here's what I believe. I believe that still today Jesus looks at his church and with disdain, with disgust, he looks at us and he says, oh, you faithless people. I believe that he does that so often and that is an indictment against our faith. It's an indictment against us as people who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Now, again, we would never get up and say, I don't believe Jesus can do it. But the fact that we're actually not seeking his face in everything, we are in a way saying, yeah, I don't, I don't believe that's going to happen. 
So I believe Jesus today is still saying that statement, you faithless people. Our lack of faith is, is something we've got to recognize. But not only our lack of faith, but also our lack of commitment. Our lack of commitment. In other words, we're not like 100% locked in. Sure, we might show up. We might be here for church services. We might be even involved in the choir or serving in the nursery. But when it comes to actually our, our faith journey, like we are not locked and loaded as it relates to our faith. We're not sitting there talking with God every single day. We're not seeking His Word in, in diving into God's Word every single day to find the, the wisdom and the guidance, the leadership that we need in order to make it through the day. And so we're not fully committed. We're like one foot in and one foot out. And because of that, we never allow God to do His greatest work in us because we are never fully invested in following after Christ. And so our lack of commitment actually speaks to the issue that we face. But not only that, also our lack of asking. We've already talked about that. So often we face conflicts, challenges, and we will look to anyone and everywhere there is to find help except for run to God. Have you ever been in a situation where you're brokenhearted, where you're wondering how you're going to pay your bills next week, you're wondering how you're going to make it through this the, the situation, the doctors told you, man, things don't look good. Your relationship's going through a rough patch and you're sitting there trying to figure out, man, what in the world am I going to do? And yet in the midst of that moment, you never find yourself getting on your knees before God and saying, God, have mercy on me. God, I need your help. God, help my unbelief. It's our lack of asking. And Jesus replied in Mark 9, 29, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. In the New King James Version, it says a little bit differently. It says this, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. In fact, I think you ought to circle that in your Bible. That's a picture of what God wants us to do. When Jesus was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast... Not if you fast, not like occasionally if that comes up or, you know, not maybe if sometime in your life you find yourself going through the time of fasting. It says when you fast, which in other words, we can actually take away from that the idea is that God expects us in seasons in our lives when we need to see the power of God, the hand of God upon us. God expects us to be people of prayer, but he also expects us to be people who fast. And so let's talk about what that looks like. Let's talk about what fasting really looks like in our faith journey, why it is so important. And I want to start with just a quote here that we find here from Gary Rohrmeyer who said this, fasting is more about replacing than it is about abstaining. In other words, fasting is not simply coming up with an idea of like, what can I cut out of my life? It's more about what can I fill my life with? So often we talk about fasting and we, we have discussions about like what are the things in our lives that we're going like to do without. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments. We're going to talk about what that looks like. But, but we've got to recognize that we're not simply fasting because we're going through some kind of trendy thing to, you know, to kind of go through a season where we're doing things together and it's just kind of cool. We're doing this because we want to see the hand of God in a way that we have not seen it in a while. It's replacing the things that we have made important in our lives with something that is ultimately important in our lives, and that is the presence of God. In the, in the Bible, oftentimes people fasted. And God's people always fasted before major victories, before miracles or answers to prayer. 
In fact, there's several uh, parts in the passage here that, in the scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament that give us a picture of that. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, they were seeking miracles. They were seeking God doing what only God can do. It says, David begged God to spare the child and went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. You remember that story when King David was told that his son was dying that he gave up food and that he allowed himself to go without food because he was fasting, seeking God for a healing. And so we know that in, in the Bible, oftentimes when they were seeking miraculous moves of the hand of God, that they abstained from food. We also see that oftentimes when they were seeking repentance, when they were recognizing they were falling away from God and they were not doing what God wanted them to do. First Samuel 7, 6, says, so they gathered at Mizpah and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. And they also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. In Israel, in the Old Testament, oftentimes when they found themselves walking away from the God that had delivered them over and over and over again, when they recognized they were walking further away from Him, that they found themselves in times of seasons of fasting when they were seeking the repentance, when they were seeking forgiveness from God, when they were saying, God, we are so sorry for what we've done. God, we can't believe we have messed up so often. We can't believe we've been so dumb. And so, God, we're fasting, asking you to forgive us here today. And so they were seeking miracles, seeking repentance, but also in times of making decisions. In times when they were looking for God to give them clarity on what it is that he wanted them to do. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I've called them. And so after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. When they went out to go out and to preach the gospel to the world, they started in a season of fasting and prayer. And so we recognize in this passage, clearly, over and over again, when people in, in, in the Bible times, people in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, when they were wanting to see God do so much more, it was always during a season of fasting and prayer. Chris Hodges, a friend of mine, a pastor of a church, great church down in Birmingham, Alabama, he said these words. He said this, that prayer connects us to the Father while fasting disconnects us from the world. Isn't that a great statement? That's a picture of this replacement mentality, the theology of, of fasting from things that we've made important so that we can seek what is ultimately what really is important, and that's seeking the hand of God. And that's what fasting is. So why does prayer and fasting matter? Why is it that we've got to be in a season of prayer and fasting to see God do some incredible things? Well, the first thing is when we're in a season of prayer and fasting, when we're going through these moments, we find ourselves where we're relying completely on His strength. Complete dependence on God, of recognizing we can't do this on our own. When we talk about seeing God do a miraculous work in our church, in our community, in this next year, when we're asking and seeking God to, to show up and do infinitely more than we could ever ask or think in reaching this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to come to the point and recognize that it is only when God does the work that we will see that happen. And so fasting and prayer allows us to rely on His strength. It also gives us a time to focus on the eternal. 
to stop being distracted by the things of this world, to stop allowing ourselves to to be sidelined by all of the things that are pulling at our attention, trying to call us away from following God. It helps us to focus on what really matters, to focus on the eternal. It also allows us to come to a time when we repent. When we repent of our sins, and oh, we so desperately need to do that. God is clear in His Word. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we come to Him and confess our sins. And so a time of fasting and prayer allows us a season where we are focused on repentance. And then it also helps us to come to a time when we receive the direction we need. To receive the direction we need directly from Him. Man, the world's always going to tell you what to do and how to do it. The world's always going to try to give you advice on what you ought to do in this situation. But man, when you come to a time of prayer and fasting, when you have kind of shut yourself off from the things that you think are so important and you're focused only on God and His presence in your lives, you know what it does for us? It helps us to give a very clear picture. It helps to, to just solidify exactly what it is that God wants us to do. And so it helps us to get the direction that we need directly from Him. So how do we pray? Philippians 4, verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. It said, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. So how do we pray? Well, first thing, tell Him what you need. That's the beautiful thing. And let's be honest, it's not like we're not conditioned to do that. I mean, my four kids, they have no problem at all coming to me and telling me what they need. I mean, they have, it's not an issue. They don't need to practice it. They don't need to read a book and figure out how to come to dad and say, dad, hey, I want this. They've never, ever had a problem doing that from the very first time they were able to start talking. In other words, it was this. The first words out of their mouth were dada. The second words out of their mouth, dada, I want. I mean, am I right about that? I mean, that just seemed, I'm just kidding, Natalie, that's not you. I'm just, we are conditioned to always be willing, ready, and able to ask people for help, except for God. Some of that comes from the standpoint of us believing that we're not worthy. Some of it comes from the viewpoint that because of what we've done, that we have disqualified ourselves from talking to God. But yet God's word clearly tells us, Philippians 4, whatever it is, ask, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Never be afraid to come to God with your greatest need. And if anyone ever says that you're not spiritual because you're asking God for something, say this, God told me to do it, Philippians 4, verse 6. So tell him what you need. But also, make sure you recognize this. Thank him for all he's done. Don't ever forget to thank him for what he's done. Thanksgiving is so important. It's not just something that comes in November. Thanksgiving is something that ought to be present in your life every single day. Thanking him. Now, how to fast. How do we come to a place in our lives where we are actually knowing how to fast so we're doing it the right way? Well, the first thing we do is set a realistic goal. Set a realistic goal of understanding what that looks like. Now, we have set a goal here at our church for 21 days of fasting and prayer. And I'm asking every single one of you, we've been talking about this now for almost a month, 
to take the next 21 days, beginning at sundown tonight, going through February the 2nd. Sunday, we'll come back together on that, that February 2nd Sunday morning. We're going to come together. We're going to celebrate together. We're going to have uh, come to the Lord's table together. Have commun- That's going to be the best tasting communion wafer you've ever had in your life, I promise you, if you're actually fasting the food the whole time. And we're going to come together and we're going to celebrate. We're asking 100% involvement and engagement in 21 days of fasting and prayer. We've set a goal that means something, but not only setting a realistic goal, but we have to determine the scope. We have to recognize that fasting looks different for all of us. Now, for some people, it means fasting like 100%, like cutting out food, waters and juices, that kind of thing. Some people physically are not able to do that. Some people, because of medications or health conditions, or maybe because they've had an issue with an eating disorder, it's not the right thing to do. So what you do is you seek God for direction. God, what do you want me to do? And so some people will fast completely. Some people will will do a Daniel fast. Some people are doing digital fast. And I'll be honest with you, in some people's lives, their phone is more important to them than food. Now listen, when we talk about fasting, I mean, we've got to recognize fasting is really taking the idea of something that is vitally important to us and replacing it with the presence of God. It does not mean that we sit back and say, you know what, for the next 21 days... I'm going to fast. I'm going to cut out all broccoli out of my diet for the next 21 days. That is not a fast. That's a gift, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about, like, figuring out things that you could do, like, that would be a no-brainer. I had a friend of mine years ago when we were in college, and we were doing a fast at the time. Dad at the old church had, had conditioned and, or had, had, had committed us to, to going through a season of fasting, and he asked us to fast for a week. And I remember this friend of mine said, I'm going to do that. And so every day, here's what he did. He actually, every day, went to McDonald's and he got a milkshake for every meal. That is not fasting. That's awesome. We have to condition ourselves and find out what does the scope of fasting look like for us. And over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to people who are, who are actually going to give up food completely for the next 21 days. I've talked to some people who are going to be doing Daniel fast. Some people will be fasting like one or two days a week. Some people who are going to put their phones away, that they're going to stop binging Netflix, which is just like binging food. I mean, they're going to do digital fast, those kinds of things. Find what works for you. Find what you know in your life is that kind of thing that would be difficult for you to set aside in order to seek the presence of God. Make it about your heart. Make it about your heart. In other words, man, it's just important. It's like where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's important to you? That's what we want to focus on. I mean, it's the presence of God. Focus on what we have to gain. When we talk about this idea of what it really looks like, when we talk about this idea of what fasting is, Bill Bright says it this way, personal revival always occurs through fasting because fasting is an act of humility. It's the idea that we are giving up our right to do something, something that's important to us, so that we can seek the face of God, so that we can see God do the miraculous. And so let's just take a moment, and I want you to turn over in your notes to the next page. And it's an entire page there. It's not notes you need to fill in. It's an idea of what fasting looks like. It lists there for you on the, on the left-hand side of the page the different types of fasts that are there, the complete fasts, selectives, partials, soul fasts, the Daniel fast. All of those things are there. I ask you today to spend time today praying through, if you've not already done so, what does that look like for me? 
What are you going to do over the next 21 days in seeking God in this 21 days of prayer and fasting? How do we do it on a daily basis? Man, we start by reading Scripture. Every day we get into God's Word. In your book, you'll notice in the back part of your book, you'll find that we have put the entire book of John in that book. And here's why. I'm asking you as we're walking through this season of fasting and prayer, of seeking God to do so much more, we want to see the power of God at work. And so I'm asking you every day for the next 21 days, read a chapter from the book of John. It's there in your notes. You certainly can use your own Bible if you wish. But every day, starting tomorrow, read John chapter 1. The next day, John chapter 2. Why? So that we can see what God is capable of doing. That we can see the power of God. Journal. Write down things that are important to you. Write down the things in your life that you need to get before God and confess to seek God's forgiveness for. Write down the things that are important to you, the things that you want to be praying over, the people that you want to be praying over, the impact that you believe God wants you to have in this new year. Pray over the scripture that you just read for what you wrote down so you can see God speaking to you. A list of things. And this is just a a small list that I encourage you to add to of things that you could and should be praying for. And during this time, believe God for answered prayers to specific needs. Declare your dependence on God in every area of your lives. Invite the presence of God in our church, in our lives, and seek ways to help others draw closer to God. In these next 21 days, man, I believe with all my heart that we're going to see God open the windows of heaven in our church. That I believe God is going to do a work on us that we cannot even imagine. And the reason this is so important is because we've talked about how we want to, as a church, reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reach them with that internal message of the gospel. But let me make this very clear. We can never expect for God to use us to impact the eternal if we are not allowing God to also impact the internal. We can never allow God or think that God is going to use us to change the world if we've not also taken the time and done the hard work of letting God change us. So that's what this season is all about. That's what this focus is going to be focused on our our lives, our, our journey over these next 21 days. Now on our website, we've got a couple of resources that we want to give to you. If you go to our uh, app or if you go to our website at trbc.org slash so much more, a book that my dad wrote in 1978 called Fasting, What the Bible Teaches. We've got that book there. In fact, if you go to our website, not only do we have the text there, we actually have the uh, complete book. So when you go to that website, you'll actually find it right down at the bottom of that page on so much more, Fasting, What the Bible Teaches. Click on it, and there's the entire book right there. Word for word, page for page. And you'll be able to read that entire book. It's 55 pages. Powerful. What does the Bible say about fasting? Elmer Towns, part of our church, has also given us this book that will be up tomorrow on our website. The same place. You'll be able to go in and read this book. This is a couple hundred pages of what God wants us to understand about fasting, the essential guide to fasting. These resources are 100% free. Go read them, download them, print them, whatever you want to do. Because we want to take this seriously. Of what does this look like to you? Because if we are asking God to do so much more, then we better start by asking God to do so much more in us. When we talk about God using the church to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognize this, God never uses a building. He uses you and me. Man, we've got to be there. So, today is January the 12th. Tomorrow... 
January the 13th. And tomorrow we are starting a church-wide 21-day season of fasting and prayer. And I'm asking you 100% across this room to be 100% on board. What does it look like to you? If it's a Daniel fast, go for it. If it's a digital fast, awesome. If it's a selective fast, if it's a complete fast, if it's water and juices for the next 21 days, whatever it is, pray about it. Seek God's face on it. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. It's between you and God. And by the way, the Bible also says this. When you're fasting, you don't go around and brag about it. You don't get up and you talk about it. You don't try to make people feel sorry for you because you're doing it. No, it's between you and God. You're doing business with God. And I'm asking this church for 21 days, let's do business with God. And then let's see what so much more looks like. Infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for what I know you want to do in our lives. I don't know what it looks like for each and every one of us. I have no idea what tomorrow holds. But I do know this, God. Whatever it is, it's far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And so, God, I pray that today... Speak in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Show us what it is that you want us to do. God, I know there are people in this room who've already decided through prayerful consideration. They know exactly what these next 21 days look like for them. And God, I thank you for that. For those who are still wondering, those who are still praying, those who are still considering, God, I pray that in these next 12 hours, you would make it clear to them, this is what you should do. So God, that they will know how these next 21 days, what they can do. To do what Mark chapter 9 talks about. To see you do these kinds of things, these miraculous kinds of things in our lives that come through prayer and through fasting. God, I pray that you would do a great work. God, the greatest work that I know that you have done and are doing and will ever do is the gift of salvation that comes through your son, Jesus. And so right now, God, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that right now they would come to that place and make that decision. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. In a moment, we're going to stand. Our altar is going to be open. Our team's going to be here. Some of you may want to come down here and just pray, God, give me direction on the next 21 days, what you want me to do. Maybe you want to come down here and kneel here and say, God, it's going to be tough. I need your strength. And you better be praying every single day for the power and the strength of God to give you the power to make it through day by day. Because recognize this. When God's people are fasting in prayer, seeking the power of God, make no mistake, Satan knows it. And Satan's going to come after you. And he's going to tempt you in ways that you've never been tempted before. He's going to attack you in ways that you've never been attacked before. Satan is going to come after you. But what I love God's word tells us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You know what that tells us? In our words, in our vernacular, here's what it tells us. Satan doesn't have a prayer when God's on your side. So maybe you want to come down here and kneel here and pray, God, give me wisdom. Maybe you want to come and, and join our church or come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and know more about Jesus. You want our team to share with you who Jesus is and what he's done. Right now, as we stand together, as we sing these words, I'm just asking you to make your way to the front, to take that step of faith right now here today. Let's stand together.
We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift. You can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.